Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Open your Bibles to Psalms, the 111th Psalm, Psalm 111. And as you are opening to the book of Psalms, I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you think is the greatest achievement in the history of humankind? The greatest achievement. Could it be the invention of the printing press? Could it be the construction of the great pyramids in Egypt? The great wall of China? Maybe the invention of the automobile or the plane? Maybe Einstein's theory of relativity? Maybe even putting a man on the moon. That's a pretty great achievement. I mean, we can think of some great achievements in the history of humankind that have made life better for us here on earth. They've been pretty remarkable. But none of those achievements that man has accomplished can ever come close to what an all-powerful, majestic, holy, sovereign God has done in history. Now think about God for just a moment. God is totally self-sufficient. God does not need us. You should never say God needs anything because God doesn't need anything. And he chose to create the world out of nothing. And not only did he create the world out of nothing, but he was not a distant God. He's come to be with us. He's acted in power on behalf of his people. And I think it's good for us from time to time to stop and remember how God has worked in the past to give us encouragement to see that God can work right now in your life and God can work in the future. Now this morning, we've already heard from our youth. And you can talk to them afterwards about many of their stories and what God did. In just a few moments, we're going to hear from Kent and Rachel McDowell, our our missionaries that are going to Russia. And so I think as we think about missions, we think about all this going on this morning, I think it's important for us to just focus on the power of God in our lives. And so as we look at Psalm 111 briefly this morning, I pray that it gives you encouragement. I pray it fuels your confidence that what God did in the past, He can do right now, and He's faithful to do that in your future. God can do powerful things. God can do powerful things in your family. God can do powerful things in this church. God can do powerful things in Russia. God can do powerful things among the Bogota people of India. God can do powerful things in our youth ministry. God can do powerful things in our children's ministry. God can do powerful things. Do you believe that? That God can do powerful things. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. 
The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Now, this psalm is divided into three parts. We're going to look at briefly all three of them this morning. The first part is in verse 1. And basically, it's a passionate plea from the psalmist for us to praise the Lord. It's the word hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And it's written in a way that it's a strong command. It's meant to be a forceful, strong, passionate, powerful, praise the Lord. Notice what the psalmist says there. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So he's calling us with this whole heart devotion to give praise to God. Now, this is not just a private affair. It's not just me and Jesus over here in a corner. We're having our own little cool time with with, with me and Jesus. No, notice what he says. I will praise the Lord in the company of the upright in the congregation. This is a call to praise for a public gathering. What we do every Lord's Day morning on Sunday morning is we gather as God's people to passionately praise the Lord. And that's why being connected to a church family is so important. Does God do powerful works in your individual lives? Absolutely. But oftentimes when God wants to show up in power, he shows up corporately through his church. He does mighty work so that his glory can be on display for us as a church family to see what God is doing. And so this first real section here in verse 1 is a passionate plea for us to praise the Lord with our whole hearts together as a corporate body in the congregation. But secondly, verses 2 through 9, he gives us the reason. Why should we praise God so passionately? Now there's a lot of different reasons, but for this particular psalm, he gives one overarching reason. Great are the works of the Lord. God has powerfully worked to reveal His glory in history. I don't know how many times you counted, but the word works shows up five times in this psalm. Great are the works of the Lord, the works of the Lord, the mighty acts of the Lord, all these things that God has done. Now, there's probably more than six, but the psalmist gives us basically six primary reasons why we're to praise God for his mighty works. And so I want to just briefly look at these six reasons this morning. What are these things that that should inflame us with confidence, passion, desire to worship and praise our God because he's done these mighty works? Well, let's let's look at these. First of all, in verse 2, we are to diligently learn about how God has worked in history. Notice what it says in verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord. Studied... By all who delight in them. That's an interesting terminology, studied. It means to passionately seek, to intensely learn about. And so what the psalmist is saying is we really need to really passionately learn about what God has done in, the hist- in history, in the past. 
what God has done. And notice he says we're to be emotionally charged about that. We are to delight in what God has done. We're to be passionately pursuing this idea of learning about who God is and what he's done. And so here's a basic question for you. How do you do that? It's very simple. You saturate yourselves in this book. That's why you need to read from Genesis to Revelation the mighty works of God. There's some great stuff in the Old Testament. A lot of times we don't read the Old Testament. We see Jesus on display in the Gospels. We see the power of the church and the Holy Spirit in Acts. We see all these great stories of what God has done from Genesis to Revelation. And we are to diligently learn about what God is doing and be passionate about His great works. Now, secondly, we are to praise God. Now, hang with me for just a moment. Because at at one time He's exalted and yet he's close. He's exalted and he's close. It's, it's somewhat of a paradox. Notice this in verses 3 and 4. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Notice he says splendor and majesty. This speaks of God's otherness. Do you realize that God is lofty? God is other. God is transcendent. God is not like us at all. He is powerfully holy. And oftentimes this word splendor and majesty are used together to describe this transcendent nature of God. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 145.5, we see these words together. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And so we need to think about God being transcendent, God being holy, God being awesome, powerful, glorious, sovereign, this great majestic creator God, but yet at the same time, this God who dared create the world and dared save us is close he's close notice what it says at the end of verse four the lord is gracious the lord is merciful he's sovereign he's powerful he's gracious he's merciful this word gracious is an interesting word in the hebrew language it really carries this idea of a sovereign a superior bending down inclining down to give help to a rebel that doesn't deserve mercy. You see, God owes us nothing. God is not in debt to us. God owes us nothing. God bends down in gracious mercy, a lot of like what Samuel said. God comes and and shares his love with us, and he acts graciously with us, doesn't want anything in return. He simply just showers his blessings upon us as a gracious God who bends down to care for his people. And also says the Lord is merciful. The word merciful carries the idea of a nursing mother taking care of a child, of of a father tenderly shepherding his children. And so you have the idea here that that the all-powerful sovereign God is also like a, a loving parent that comes and graciously shepherds us. We can call this holy, transcendent, splendid, majestic God our daddy. The Lord is gracious and merciful. But thirdly, The Lord is a covenant-keeping God who makes good on His promises. Notice what it says in verse 5. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. God provides food. He remembers His covenant. God remembers His covenant. You guys, I'm going to give you a test. Over the past three or four years, even when we were in the old building, we learned a very important Hebrew word. 
So anybody remember what word is the most important Hebrew word that shows up about God's character? Remember what it is? I'm hearing, what is it? Hesed. Hesed. It's that covenant, loyal love that God shows to his people. The Lord is faithful to his covenant. He will never leave us or forsake us. Like we sang earlier, oh no, you never let go. God will never let us go. But fourthly, this omnipotent God desires his glory to be extended to the nations. Look at verse 6. He has shown his people the power of his works. That word power there is a really strong word in the Hebrew language that means omnipotent power. God's unlimited resources. And notice what it says there. He's shown the power of his works in giving the inheritance of the what? The nations. Why does God demonstrate his power? For the nations. The ethne. What are we to do? We're to make disciples of what? All the nations. All the people groups on this earth that have never heard the name of Jesus. Right now, right now, in this world today, there are over 3,000, count them, 3,000 people groups who don't have access to Jesus or the gospel. Over 3,000 people groups living in darkness who don't know about Creator God. They do not know about His Son, Jesus Christ. They do not know about the power of the Holy Spirit because no one's gone to them. Now, about three years ago, the Bogota were an unengaged people group. But thankfully, through the missionary presence of our missionary partners and our mission trip, we've been able to engage the Bogota peoples of India, and they have access now at least to the gospel. But there are 3,000 people groups who don't have access to the gospel. And so that's why God's plan is to go to the nations. The, the, the whole purpose of the Great Commission is that the nations, the people groups, would praise this Most High God who is worthy of praise through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we go to the Bogota peoples of India. That's why Ken and Rachel McDowell are going to Russia. That's why our youth went to the neighborhoods of Santa Fe. That's why we're starting this Hispanic outreach. is so that the nations, the people groups, would hear and know about the love of Christ. Fifthly, Our great God can absolutely be trusted. He can be trusted. Look at verses 7 and 8. The works of His hands are faithful and just. His precepts are trustworthy. They're established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Really, a solid foundation. God can be trusted. His word can be trusted. God has acted in power and righteousness in the past. He can do it now. And in the future, God can be trusted. But sixthly, God has ransomed or redeemed his people out of slavery to sin. Look at verse 9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He sent redemption. That word in the Hebrew means to buy out of slavery. Think about the Exodus for a moment. The nation of Israel was in bondage to Egypt. They were slaves. God provides a way out of Egyptian bondage through what? The Passover, right? The lamb. Without spot or defect, a substitute dying in the place of the nation of Israel. You put the blood on the lentils and doorposts of the house. God saves a people through a blood sacrifice. That's the way God's always done it from the very beginning. All the way through the Old Testament, blood sacrifice. This whole idea of saving people out of slavery to redemption. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, 
Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. There's that word has said. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now obviously we most clearly see this in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, died in our place, was guilty so that we could become innocent, was cursed so that we could go free, took the full wrath of God upon himself, shed his blood so that you and I could be bought, could be purchased out of slavery to sin. As a matter of fact, Peter tells us that's what has happened to us. In 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed, you were bought. Bought from what? The futile or empty ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God has saved us through the blood sacrifice of His Son. And notice what, I think this is so awesome, notice what it's the, the last part of verse 9 says, Holy and awesome is His name. Because Christ has saved us from our sins through his sacrifice on the cross, we can cry out, holy and awesome is the name of Christ because of his salvation of sinners. Now, we've seen some six reasons here that God tells us to praise him. Encouragements to fuel our confidence in the fact that God has worked. But there's a final section here in verse 10. And it almost seems out of place. It's a call to wisdom. Notice what it says in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, practice it, that is wisdom, have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Now, it's one thing for us to know in our heads all the things that God has done. It's another thing for that to translate down into our hearts and be birthed into wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, why do we learn about God? Why do we, why do we think about the wondrous works of God? Is it so that we can fill our heads with information? Yes, but ultimately it's so that we fall on our faces and worship Him as our sovereign, great and mighty God. It says the fear of the Lord, that healthy awe and respect for God gives us understanding. Now, J.I. Packer has written a book, Knowing God. Our men have gone through it. It should be required reading for all Christians. It should be on your top 10 of all Christian reading lists. But J.I. Packer says this about knowing God from chapter 1. He says this, Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life, blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. What he's saying is that there's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Sadly, there are a lot of people in this world that know about God. They know about God. But they personally don't know God through His only Son, Jesus Christ. And so we don't just learn about God to enlarge our minds. We learn about God to enlarge our hearts so that we can worship Him more passionately. What did Paul say in Philippians 3, 8-10? Indeed, 
I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ, my, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do you hear the cry of Paul, that passion? I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. That's why the psalm ends this way. His praise endures forever. How did it start? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord passionately. How does it end? His praise endures forever. So wrapped up in the middle of this psalm with with kind of sandwiched, if you will, praise, praise are all the attributes of God. And it's not for us just to fill our heads with who God is. It's to lead to wisdom, which wisdom is more than just knowledge. Wisdom means that we fall on our faces and we worship and we love and we passionately pursue this God. And so here's my question for you this morning. Do you just know about God? Are you content with just having a relationship of just knowing about God? Or do you actually know God? And how do you know God? Only through His Son, Jesus Christ, can you know this God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting in what He's done on the cross to to save you from your sins, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth that He rose from the dead, and God will save you, and you can have this relationship. But for those of us that are Christians, do you want to passionately just know about God? Or do you want to know Him? Great are the works of the Lord. It's repeated five times here. He's done them in the past. He can do them in the future. He can do them right now in your life. Let me just pray for just a few moments here. And then we're going to transition into a time of of commissioning. Father, thank You that You've revealed Yourself to us as a God who works powerfully powerfully in history, powerfully in creation, powerfully in our lives. And Lord, there may be many in this room this morning that doubt that. Lord, I've been praying all week that that, that people that come in with doubts that you can actually work today, those doubts would be shattered and they would have the confidence from your word that God, you can work. You can do mighty things. We can praise you passionately because you're a God who does great works on behalf of your people. Lord, would you shatter doubt in people's hearts this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.